Welcome to Pro Soccer Weekly. Pro Soccer Weekly. Welcome to Pro Soccer Weekly. My name is Phil Nasons, and they call me The Flash. And I'm joined by my co-host, please welcome Gary Lewis and Eric Laurendini to their own show. How's it going? Good evening, gents. Go Burnley! As always. <laughs> Go Burnley. <laughs> yeah, good result. Just been, uh, I've just finished watching it now. It was... Um, Good game to watch, to be fair. Yeah, I um, think it was. I think both teams, both teams sort of cancelled each other out first half. I think Watford tactically got things wrong. Burnley could have had maybe two or three goals in the first half, and then second half, Watford came out uh, a little bit sharper, made more of a game of it. Um, and as I was saying off air, my 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 friend's son um, is is uh, one of the young lads at Burnley. He's uh, he got the assist for the goal tonight, so. Um, you know, it's a really good result for Burnley. Bit of breathing space now. Um, probably not so good for Watford. They've still got a little bit of time, but you know, it's. Um, I think I think the the fitness levels are starting to improve from what we've seen over the last sort of you know week. Certainly, um, you know. So it's uh, and the thing is as well as I said to you before, the heat today has been absolutely brutal. Well over ninety degrees here, and I, I think it's you know still sort of borderline eighty five degrees now, and it's you know, almost 8.30 in the evening here. So, yeah, good to see. Good result. Very good result. And a good result for Eric. He had them all the way. I had them too, but not in, not in my column. I had them uh, in, a, in a place we shall, we'll call, name later. <laughs> the vault. I, yeah, the vault. Yeah, 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 yeah. My uh, New York City rent fund. Um, okay. Yeah. So, listen, Wolverton. We're going to talk about, I, I think we're going to talk about someone today, um, Adam Traore. Uh, that's how you say his name, right? Traore? Correct. Okay, well, he plays for Wolverton. And I was impressed with the way he played and the way Wolverton played last week. When he came off the bench, I think he came in with 17 minutes to go. The score was nil-nil. And he was in on, I think he scored one and assisted two. Why isn't this kid starting? He's freaking pretty fast. I don't understand why he's not starting. Go ahead, Eric. You can you can be the you can be the voice of reason today before me and Gaz crush him. Well, listen. I mean, his his history is really kind of all over the place. You know, um, he, he actually started in the Barcelona program. Um, only played uh, a handful of games on their first team. Uh, you know, back in. 13, 14, somewhere in that area. Um, and uh, yeah, he never really seemed to break into the first side. I mean, it, Barcelona is not his style of play, or at least wasn't his style of play back when he was younger. Uh, he was very much a physical presence, uh, incredibly fast. Uh, but he was the type of player that just felt like he had to do it. He had to do it all. And, you know, Barcelona is a system. You know, where they all work and feed off of each other. You know, it's like we said, uh, passing doesn't necessarily make you win the game. But, you know, you go watch any Barcelona match or a lot of La Liga matches and they're making five, six hundred passes a game. That was just not uh, Traore's strength at that point in time. He, he's, you know, since he left uh, Barcelona at the age of 19, he went to Villa, Aston Villa in uh 2015 and uh you know they they were relegated to successive years uh so he really wasn't able to contribute 
there in, in any great capacity. Um, he, he was injured uh, his first season with them. Uh, he's dealing with a new culture, a new country, a new language. Uh, so, you know, he's really never, when he was younger, was able to get his career off. He moved to Middlesbrough from there, uh, who was in the Premier League at the time, and then, and then they were relegated, uh, and he didn't really have much of an opportunity to contribute over there. Uh, and in 2018, or really, I should say, when he was at Middlesbrough, um, uh, the coach's name is escaping me. Uh, it'll come. It'll come back to me. But uh, the coach, sort of uh, Tony Pulis, uh, sort of put him on the right track. And then from there, he had the opportunity to go to um, to where he is now, uh, to the Wolves, uh, and uh, in in August of 2018. And he's really you know, started to become part of his system. But, you know, the first year with the Wolves, he had a lot of injuries. He had problems. He had some problems there. He couldn't really get acclimated uh, to what they were doing. Uh, and, and um, you know, just inconsistent. You know, he's moved around a lot. He's been in a lot of different climates in, in the last five, six years, a lot of different environments. Uh, and, um, you know, that's really sort of been, I think, a, a a problem with him where he couldn't really manage any consistency. His biggest strength and his biggest weakness all at the same time, I think is his, is his speed. He, he was playing the game at a hundred percent all out all the time. And he couldn't, his decision-making was poor. His ability to make decisions, the timeliness of his decisions, I believe were poor. And uh, he couldn't get into with any consistency into a system that, that, warranted teammates to be involved and to help or him to help conversely. Um, so I, I think now he's having a bit more success with his decision-making process. He's slowed down the game a little bit um, so that he can make his decisions uh, more timely or, or make better decisions. And he's starting to, to, to contri contribute a bit more. He, he's what I would call a confidence player. And uh, if his confidence is lacking that, that, that and aside from some of the injuries he's had in the past that really have kept him out of getting more minutes, uh, you know, for, for the Wolves or for, for any of the other teams that he's played for. Go ahead, Gaz. You can go ahead and hammer this kid now. It's your turn. Hammer away. Go Burnley. <laughs> go Burnley. Uh, well, listen, I, I agree with, with, with a lot of what Eric's saying. I mean, it, you know, the kid burst onto the scene. Um, I think it was 2012, 2013. You know, there was a there was a few sniffs over in the UK um, about about the boy, um, and you know he sort of progressed, stayed at Barcelona. Who wouldn't stay at Barcelona? Being Spanish, you know, he got the opportunity there playing in the B team. Um, I think he played over 60 odd games in the B team there, and <clears throat> pretty one dimensional as a kid. And I would say he's. He's still got them them traits at, at, at this moment in time. You know, we've got to bear in mind, he's still a kid. You know, if we class 24 as as, as, a, as a kid, you know, in terms of, um, you know, experience in the Premier League. And one of his biggest, one of his biggest attributes is his pace. You've got to, you've, as Eric said, alluded to there, you, you've got to be playing in the right seat. I mean, you know, he's a winger stroke forward. Um, if I was managing him, I'd play him on the wing all day long or play him right of a, a, a three up top where he can have the most impact and he can do the most damage 
Um, he's a he's a really strong boy as well. You know, very rarely gets knocked off the ball. His his um, as Eric said, his decision making. You know, when you're playing in the Premier League, you have to you have to have plan A, B, C, and D. Um, in 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 Spain, with all due respect, it's, it's it's a very technical game, and you know you don't really see a lot of you know explosive players in the in in, in La Liga. Um, you know, in terms of how thing how you know how the, how the teams are structured over here in terms of tactics, four four two. You know, he would play wide of a four in midfield over here, and you know his his job would be to get out a fullback, provide crosses, link <clears throat> link with the front men, and obviously be be a third striker if the ball was down the other side. Um, you know, that, that's 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 typically a winger's job. His decision making, his game brain. I mean, there's two types. You've got decision making, you've got game brain. His decision decision making uh, more often than not is poor. Um, his choice, his his weight of pass. Um, maybe an overlapping run or whatever it may be. That's the biggest thing that needs to improve with uh, with Adama Traore for me. You know, he's um, he's an extremely exciting young player, very talented, raw. I still see him. I still think he's raw in my opinion. Um, you know, he's, he's he's as Eric was saying there, he's moved around quite a bit. Tony Pulis at Middlesbrough, not really uh, get the ball down and play football type of manager. It's more let's get the ball forward and see what we can do there, which. You know, really sort of cancels his position out in the team. Doesn't really play to his attributes. He's, so he's more of an impact player. I think he's found his home at Wolves. Play lovely, absolutely lovely football. I know we spoke about them before, you know, with um, Esperito there, Nunes. And, you know, he, he believes in his plays. Very similar to Jurgen Klopp. You know, puts his arm around players, shouts when he needs to, um, you know, and brings the best out of players. So I think he's found his home at the moment. There's actual actually talk that I'm just reading now that Liverpool are going to be putting an offer in for him. Um, and I think if anybody can sort of improve his game brain, uh, which is what he needs to take him to that next level, I think Jurgen Klopp could, um, you know, 100%. So it remains to be seen. Like I say, he's still, still young. He's a frustrating type of player, you know, but he's also, you know, an exciting player on top of that. So um, yeah, I think it remains to be seen what happens with him. You know, um, I've never coached soccer. I've only played like one game. That was back in the 90s in a summer camp, and I scored a goal, and I was really proud of myself. And that's because that's because <laughs> what, what I learned you, what I learned from playing tennis is that there are two different types of tennis players and two different types of athletes overall. There's the one who play checkers and the one who play chess. And the checker players might have one move, two moves, but they don't have a plan B, C, or D. Um, whereas the chess players... They're more cerebral. They think things through. They know what they're going to do. They know what they're going to do when you make your move. That's something I don't see him doing. But coming off the bench the other day against, I can't remember who they were playing, but it was last Saturday, and he took care of business and made us winners. And I don't know, at age 24, if he were a tennis player at age 24 with these checker issues, I don't think he'd be going far. He'd probably be coaching somewhere. See, the thing is, the thing is, the thing is as well. You look at some of his stats. I mean, you know, I think he's played thirty odd games this season. Um, you know, sort of rolling into you know the restart and things like. That. And he's still contributed nine assists. Yeah. Now, if somebody was to actually get into his head and actually go through the video analysis and things like that, and ask him what he thought at the particular time, you know, like a good coach should do, I think that would increase by you know another maybe five or six across the season. And that's the difference when you're talking about an elite player and a real elite player, if you understand what I mean. You know, because his job at the, fundamentally is to provide for 
the centre forwards in the team. Um, judging by some of his performances, maybe maybe he doesn't see himself as a winger, more of a of a forward, and and it's how you fit him into a certain sort of um, you know setup, uh, which I think would is is probably been his stumbling block. But you know, there's no doubt in his talent. There's no doubt in his talent at all. And you know, with the right manager, he's got the right manager at the moment. But to take him onto that next level, maybe a bigger club comes in for him. You know, with the surroundings and better players. No disrespect to the Wolves players because they are magnificent. Don't get me wrong, but Liverpool are obviously on a on another level at the moment. So I think that would only sort of help him in his development. Yeah, but one thing is clear: they could actually Wolverton. They could find their way into Champions League if they continue this pace. They've had a good week, and like I said, this. Traore kid, he, he's a big part of that. And your nine assistant comment, that's spot on. When do you give up on a kid like that? Now, I just said in tennis, probably I would have already done that because there's not much more time to go. Although tennis players are going on and on farther past 30, still, that's a lot of work to do at age 24. But when does a soccer coach, <coughs> when does a soccer organization, a football club, finally say enough is enough and move on? Well, Obviously, it's not now because, you know, Jurgen Klopp said that he's virtually unplayable, meaning you just don't know how to defend against somebody like that who's that physical and has that much pace. And as Gaz stated earlier, Liverpool has expressed interest in them. So clearly nobody's given up on him anytime soon. He, he also, if I remember correctly, I think the Wolves had a great season against Man City with... Um, with Treor coming away with goals, uh, assists, and uh, they may have even beaten him in those matches, if I remember correctly. But, you know, when when you can compete against the best teams in the best league around the world, no one's given up on him anytime soon. I, I think he's he's going to be in your mind for, you know, center stage for, for the next several years. When do you, but, but again, when, when do you give up on him? What is the time, what is the, the final straw. I mean, we've got the talent. We've got the inconsistent results. It seems he's getting better. But when is enough? Gazzy, be the hard guy. I think, yeah, I think times are changing at the moment. You, you know, you, you look at the success of um, of Jamie Vardy, um, you know, in particular. He's, he's absolutely flying with Leicester. Um, I think he was released by Sheffield Wednesday when he was 16, told he was too small. He's not the biggest now. But they made an assumption he's not going to grow, he's not going to have any any impact, and he's not going to be, um, <clears throat> you know, he's not it's not going to be beneficial for us to keep him. So he went through the lower leagues, played non-league, uh, ended up at Fleetwood Town. Obviously, they're in League One over here at the moment, um, and then and then got his move to uh, he actually went to Halifax before that, another non-league team. But he subsequently got his move from Fleetwood to uh, to Leicester. I think it was a, I think it was one million pound if I'm if I'm uh, not mistaken. And then he had a manager who believed him, believed in him, um, you know, a really good, solid coach with him at the time and, and, you know, sort of played to his attributes and made him the player he is today. So, you know, there's a lot of teams that are mindful of this at the moment. You know, we do a lot of, um, a lot of testing and bone graphing with, with kids in, in our academies now. And, you know, especially with goalkeepers, how big's the mum, how big's dad, what are the project, projected heights, you know, your centre-backs, how, how tall are they going to be? If they're under six foot, you know, maybe we need to move them further up the field, um, you know, so they can they can forge a career elsewhere. But, um, you know, we were talking off air about, uh, obviously, Dwight, Dwight McNeil at, at Burnley and he was released at Man U. 
um, as he, he was told, he, he, you know, he, he was going to be, he, he, might, he was going to be too small. His dad, I know very well, I, I coach with him every week. Matty, Matty, his dad's six foot six, six foot seven. You know, he had a decent career in the non-league and what have you. Um, and Dwight got man of the match again tonight against uh, against Watford. And he's playing his trade at Burnley. Um, you know, a team that have given the foundation to to go and express himself, and he's doing so so well at the moment. You know, and um, you know he's in and out, in and around. I'm sure he'll be in and around the first senior England team very soon. He's in the 21s regularly. Um, you know, so I think it depends which club you're at, Phil. In answer to your question, you know, a lot of the smaller clubs who haven't got the 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 money and the and the you know the, the for want of a better word, the time to not to waste but to put into somebody who's maybe not going to grow. You know, as opposed to we might find somebody bigger and things like that. It it really depends on what um, what club you're at and on what category you're at. You know, going through the sort of football pyramid over here. You know what? That makes sense. Now the Bundesliga has been interesting since its return from Corona. Thank goodness it's over on Saturday. We have, uh, you know, the thing about the Bundesliga that really struck me as odd is how these home teams never win at home. But their Champions League things are settled. Their Europa qualifier is settled. There's no one playing for anything, I believe, except that last qualifying spot. And you've got Wolfsburg and Hoffenheim are tied at 49 points each. So they're looking for that qualifier. Is this is this a good thing that the Bundesliga is over? Because I'm kind of ready to celebrate that fact. Well, it's not actually, it's not actually Phil, because... Um... Uh, Gladbach is uh, in fourth on 62 points, um, and Leverkusen is on fifth on 60 points. So Leverkusen with a win and Gladbach with a with a loss um, could get leapfrogged, and Leverkusen could jump into the fourth and final Champions League spot. So there are teams uh, that are definitely playing uh, for something. Gladbach is playing Hertha, so uh, and Leverkusen's playing um, Mainz. So I think Gladbach actually has the tougher game, and there's quite the possibility that Leverkusen jumps into the fourth spot and Gladbach drops out. Uh, you've got Bayern, obviously Dortmund and, and Leipzig, one, two, three. They've they've clinched uh, Champions League spots, um, but the fourth spot is is still up. So yeah. Well, what about what about if Mönchengladbach win and Leipzig lose? Um, that's a good question. I'm not sure what the point differential was there, but I think Leipzig cannot drop out of of the top four. That's, well, they that's... can't. Well, no, they can't drop out. The, well, they could. Oh, maybe on goal difference. Let me have a look. No, I don't think it is on goal difference. But Leipzig are on 63. Mönchengladbach 62. Leverkusen 60. So Mönchengladbach could actually leapfrog Leipzig. Um, as uh, obviously with the looking at the fixtures there, I think Hertha are going to take that win anyway. Could be in my team. But, um, you know, there's still a lot to play for in them sort of third, fourth, fifth place. Uh, is it, uh, if, if, if we, if we're right, is, is it the last weekend, this weekend, eh? This is the last weekend. And yeah, so, well, that's, that's a good weekend then. It's a good weekend. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And Leverkusen cannot knock, um, Leipzig cannot get knocked out because they're three points ahead and they've got goal differential by a mile on, uh, on Leverkusen. Yeah. Yeah. By so, five. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they, they, they've secured a spot, whether it's the third or fourth, um, they've secured it. Uh, so really uh, two good games, 
two teams really playing for something. Uh, and who knows, with the way Mines has been playing, I mean, come on. Some of the games that they've competed in or have won, we, 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 we were stunned by because they were so disappointing earlier on uh, since the resumption of play. And Hertha, you know, came out like gangbusters. And, uh, you know, they were the darling, uh, Gaz's darling early on uh, since the restart. Right. So, you know, there's definitely, it could be an interesting finish there. I think so. Um, you know, big shout out to Robert Lewandowski from uh, Bayern Munich. He set the record this past week for the most goals scored by a foreign-born player in the German Bundesliga for a season. 33 goals yeah. this season. That's big, man. Congratulations to him. Is he going to stay at Bayern? Is he going to disappear? What do you think about this guy? He's pretty good, though. But where would he go? Yeah, I mean, there's been talk of him coming over here for you know the past five, six, seven years, as as, as far back as as that. Phil, to be honest, um, I would imagine he's on some serious money over in um, some serious coins. In, 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 yeah, some serious, some serious, uh, some serious drachma. Over in, um, <laughs> in 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 Germany, right? For sure, you know. Obviously, his family has settled there. Um, you know, he's not getting any younger. I mean, he's not. You know, he's not in the twilight of his career by any means. But he's not getting any younger. And you know, I think for for a club to bring him over here, um, you know, certainly outside the top three or four clubs, I think it would be, you know, a risk on his part. Not so much the clubs sort of out of the top four in the UK. Um, you know, but I think, you know, he's 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 done extremely well for himself. He really has. He's one of the, um, he's he's one of the best number nines. I, I I would you know I class him as a number nine all day long. He's big. He's strong. Uh, he scores every single type of goal that you can think of. You know, he can score from thirty yards. He can score from three inches. He can head the ball. Um, he gets in front of players. He links play. He's he's an all round sort of historical traditional number nine. Um, and I think it suits the league he's playing in. Um, whether he would be, you know, certainly in the UK, um, obviously, you know, in, in, in La Liga, you know, you'd very rarely see number nines. You know, you, you don't really play formations that, that you have a big, strong striker and one little guy sort of playing off of him as, a, as two up top. You don't, you don't really see that. Over here... You know, rarely do you see a four-four-two formation. Um, you know, so I don't think this this league. Um, listen, so if if if, so, if he came knocking on your door and said, "Listen, I want to play for you guys," you'd bring you'd open the door widely for him and, and sit him down and, and discuss terms. Of course, you would. But um, I, I think I think his his time has probably sort of been and gone for him to have any real major move. Certainly to to the UK, but there's no doubt in his quality. He's been one of the best I've seen. Oh, that sounds yeah. good. I one, one more shout out on that. Alfonso Davies of uh, Bayern was named Rookie of the Season, so good, good, solid year for him. He's got a good yeah. future ahead of him. Yeah. Good, solid 100%. year for them. Period. They had a great year. Yes. Now, two teams that haven't done so well. <laughs> Paderborn hasn't won a match in their mm -hmm. last fourteen, and Schalke is winless in its last fifteen matches. Paderborn, they take on Frankfurt on Saturday, and Schalke. Schalke takes on Freiburg on Saturday. Do these teams don't win? They're not going to win. They're going to feel sorry for themselves and disappear, or they're going to pull off big upsets. I don't know. I, I, Paderborn, I'm done with. Schalke, who knows? What do you think of these two teams? Do you think they got a shot at ending the season with a win? 
Uh, well, listen, what I, I've been saying this, sorry, if you if you wanted to jump in, but you know, I, this has been my biggest bugbear. When we were discussing the restart of the Bundesliga a few few weeks ago now, five, six weeks ago, whatever it may be, you know, I was saying you, you, you have a look at the all the information and, and it was plastered all over the news, all websites you could access virtually any piece of information on every single German player, German team that as as the Bundesliga was restarting. And I said I just did not get the feeling for, for Schalke. They are a huge club. And after the first two results, you know, we were sort of starting to say, well, you know, maybe maybe we were right here. Um, you know, they've they've sort of come back as if there's nothing to play for. We're safe. We don't really want to challenge. We're, we're not going to go down. And, you know, some of the performances have been absolutely woeful. Um, and that's putting it, that's putting it, you know, politely. Um, you know, obviously they had another loss um, during the week at home to Wolfsburg. And it wasn't just a loss, it was a whipping, you know, and, and, and I'm thinking to myself, looking at Schalke, you know, for me, as if, if, if I was the, the manager, I'm like, where's the pride? Where's the spine of my team? Where I don't see any leaders in, in that team. Um, you know, and I think that's been ridiculously evident since the restart, as we spoke about for the last five, six weeks. This is, this is a trend that's sort of continued since they restarted. So, you know, I'm not, um, obviously they're safe, but I'm, it's, it's been a, they've been a real letdown for me because, as I said, they're, they're a huge club and, you know, we have a, a young English fullback over there playing. He's on loan from Everton and it's always nice to see, you know, guys get, get given an opportunity and he's playing in such a team, you know, that just doesn't inspire and, and you know, they are what they are where they are. As Eric said a couple of weeks ago, you know, the tables don't lie and they are where they are for a reason. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of discord in their locker room before they before the season abruptly uh, ended, and that just carried over into the resumption. And uh, you know, they they've never really shown any any life, um, you know, just before the break and certainly after the break. And and uh, and I, I agree with Gaz on on two points. One uh, that you know that they've just listen, we're safe. We're going to finish middle of the table. Let's just put this behind us, hopefully, and start building for the next campaign. Uh, you know, I, I think that that's been their mindset for a while now. And then the other part of it is, you know, again, any team in a league like this that has a young American, Weston McKinney, playing, playing on the team, you know, you want them to do well. You want to root for them secretly, mm. you know, especially with the knock that the, that, that the men's national program gets. You know, here, here's an American kid who's starting to finally get more opportunities in the men's national team side. And he's actually, he's actually representing us quite well in a, in a top level league. And you just, you just want to see the right people around him so he can continue to be successful. And, you know, they've not given him, him that at all. As far as Paderborn is concerned, listen, they've been promoted two years in a row. I mean, you got to have some expectations that it's going to be very, very difficult to make three leaps in three years. You know, when you get to the top level, it's, it's not easy. It's not as easy as making that step from the third tier to the second, you know, that tier for that, that jump from the second is, is massive. It's massive. The difference in the teams, the money they have to spend, the quality of the players. And, and uh, I mean, listen, they, they never had a shot. They never had a shot this season. They were never, I don't think they were ever out of the bottom two this entire season. So, 
you know what, they need another year, go back, rebuild again, and, and maybe they'll find their way back up next year. They remind me of Corfu. Corfu either plays in the second division or the first division. They go up to the first, they have trouble, they come back down, win the league, go back up. It's like a like being in an elevator, a one-way trip. We'll see, but Paderborn, Paderborn ain't coming back. Forget about them. I, I'm done with them. I, I, I'm so over them. But but the, but the La Liga. But I'm serious. I mean, they just oh whatever. Anyway, Real Madrid and Barcelona are now tied on the table at what is it, 68 points apiece. The sad part about this is they won't play each other. The the other sad part about this is there's not too many other teams involved that can really give them a poke. What happens here? Who who wins this league, guys? Well, I mean, yeah, I've been watching the league. I can't even. I've been watching. Yeah, yeah I mean, like I say, you know, I like. I, I do. I, you know, I'm fond of La Liga. I really am. You know, I like. I like the the, the whole, the whole way the, the the game's played over in Spain. As I've said before, apart from the you know the sort of non-contact, uh, unwritten rule. But um, you know, it's um, for me, it's starting to follow a similar pattern um, as to. You know, every regular season, whether it be you know what has, what's happened before the pandemic or, or, or you know, previous seasons before that, not very many high-scoring games. Although obviously the Celta Vigo game um, at the weekend, the six-nil drubbing at Alaves um, of Alaves, sorry, it was was the main standout. But you know, I think that one of the one of the biggest things we got to think about um, their regular season usually ends. I think it's the first week in June, something like that. And obviously the the, the temperatures over in Spain um, start rising dramatically mid-June right the way through to September, October. Um, you know, so we're playing at the moment in the, in the you know, at the start of the real sort of summer heat. Um, the games are coming thick and fast. You know, there's um, there's lots of sub- substitutions that I've seen in, in you know, 75, 80% of all games, five subs, subs are being used, plenty of water breaks. Um, you know, I think the severe, severe Barca game um, at the weekend, I think it was almost 40 degrees at, in the evening when the boys were playing. Um, you know, so that gives you some kind of idea of how the, you know, the how the players are, are going to have to adapt to, you know, the new the new time, the, you know, the new time schedule of when they're playing. Some of them are playing in, at 10 or 11 o'clock in the evening. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's been any real surprises since you know maybe the first two or three rounds in Spain, and it's it's for me it's following a, a familiar pattern. You're right, um, you know Barcelona, Real Madrid. It's I think it's whoever slips up. Um, you know I think over the next week or two, um, obviously as the heat sort of intensifies, it'll be really interesting to see how they sort of utilise the the squads and 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 then you know the the fringe players. If um, you know if the certain injuries, certain fatigue injuries, and things like that, um, you know, obviously Atletico, Sevilla, Getafe are still, you know, playing for um, for for European places. Villa, Villarreal had a really good good result against, um, I think it was Sevilla, uh, with a draw over uh, over the last couple of days as well. And Sociedad, you know, I think there's only four or five points that separate fifth, sixth, and seventh. So you know, there's still things to play for. Um, but as I said, it's, it's starting to take a familiar, a familiar sort of pattern. I'm seeing a familiar pattern with um, with how the games are going and how the league's sort of starting to to look. But still good to watch. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, this is, I mean, listen, it's coming down to Madrid or Barcelona. Nobody else is getting into that top two chase. That's just uh, the way it is. Um, I, I think that if Madrid does a better job of turning some of their draws into wins, and again, to, to Gaz's point, fatigue sets in, use, you, using your, your subs properly, uh, you know, staying injury-free, uh, those things all factor into draws in, in lieu of wins or, or, or losses. Um, but I think that if Madrid, you know, converts some of their draws in, into wins, uh, you know, I think that they're probably going to have the, um, the upper hand uh, as far as this is concerned. Uh, but, we, you know, with, with that said, there are, there are five teams. There are five teams that still have a bid for uh, Champions League uh, spots. You know, Madrid, um, Sevilla, Getafe, Villarreal, and Real Sociedad have all, all have chances to to sneak into those spots. I mean, there are only eight points separating third spot from uh, from seventh spot at this point. And uh, you know, this this could be interesting down the stretch. I think the uh, the the game that we need to look at, the game we need to look at in terms of obviously Real are not going to be playing Barcelona, um, but I think if I'm not mistaken, um, I think it's the end of the month next week. Um, I think Barcelona, yeah, they do. They play Atletico Madrid, you know, so that could be a spanner in the works. So Atletico could maybe do Real a favour and beat uh, and beat by beating Barcelona at the new Camp. I think that's on the 30th, which is Monday, Tuesday, if I'm correct. So that would probably be the standout sort of big guns game, um, you know, obviously without the top two playing each other. So, you know, Atletico are, a huge team over there. Barcelona, obviously, um, you know, vying for, for the top spot. So I think that'll be the most interesting game that I am um, I can see. Real have probably got the, the, the easier of the runnings without a shadow of a doubt. But, you know, that'll be an interesting game. And obviously, um, obviously with um, uh, uh, Griezmann going back to, um, obviously, oh, he's gone from Atletico to, uh, to Barcelona, whether he'll play, and that might have an effect with the hoo-ha of the fans and stuff like that not being there. So that'll be an interesting game to watch. That should could be. have a big say. That should be. You know, um, I've been reading a little bit of Spanish newspapers, and if you listen to those guys and their conspiracy theory, they say that the referees are on Real Madrid's side, and it's gotten to the point where in the pressers, that's all Zinedine Zidane talks about and defends his team about these refs. We'll have to wait and see. You know, you never know down in Spain, right? You just never know. Um, but there aren't Correct. any American teams playing in it, so I don't think there's any too much cheating going on. Because, you know, American teams <laughs> going to Spain, it doesn't work out so well. But uh, <laughs> coaching-wise, we got a question from the listeners. They, they, they've heard my story a million times, but yours they have. And, Gary, how did you become a coach? What made you want to coach? Because you could obviously done a lot of other things, and you do things now, but... What made you want to be a coach? Um, well, long story, really, Phil. I, I, obviously, I started as a, uh, a young young player over over here. I think it was six or seven years old, and um, was spotted by Man United, and they took me in when I was I think it was eight years old when I when I first signed for Man U, and they were my childhood team. Um, you know, I followed them every week, week in, week out. And all my heroes were, were Manchester United players, so it was fantastic. I stepped up through the through the academy ranks and then the youth ranks, and um, sort of under 18s, under 19s, moved on to to um, another team 
uh, that were in the championship, uh, the championship over here at the time, Stockport County. Um, and I was there for, for four years and absolutely loved it. Loved every minute of being there. Um, you know, they gave me my first sort of professional contract and, you know, things were going really well. And I, I ended up having a, uh, sort of a freak accident. I was jumping up, playing, and and, and landing in a sort of a hole, and ended up dislocating the kneecap and cruciate ligament, medial ligament, lateral ligament, all all snapped, and um, you know, sort of changed my life really. That was when I was 22. So I actually wanted to go into physiotherapy. I was really well looked after um, at a place over in the UK called Lillishaw, which used to be uh, the sort of the national centre for all the top sport sporting teams and you know the national teams um so obviously you can imagine the the you know the the rehab facilities that they have there were absolutely second to none and you know just learning to walk again sort of opened my eyes and you know i, I thought i i really want to stay in the game and you know if, it, if it's not through physiotherapy you know I, I was speaking to a lot of people i was working with adidas at the time um and you know the, the thought was put in my head so i thought i'll give it a go i ended up started i started sort of coaching I uh, did some some tours of America uh, just to get a little bit of a feel for for coaching and working with younger kids and come home and then that was sort of 19 years ago now and we sort of sat, sort of set up, set up a company and you know we 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 move players and you know we we develop players and develop talent we ID talent and move people from all over the world into sort of European teams or colleges in in the US with Eric or whatever it may be. Um, so that's really how I got into it. it. Sort of did my qualifications, and I got a little bit more serious about about it. Probably sort of twelve years ago, when I realised that you know I'd got the bug back again for for football. That's how I how I, how I got into it, and then from that, obviously, you know, meeting Eric and the other people around the world, I've sort of travelled around the world really, and you know, sort of providing different people with opportunities. And as a result of that, you know, we've got into sort of other lines of business away from soccer but all through people who i've uh, i've met and have known in soccer so i've uh, i've loved every minute of it, of, of it mate all right well my my story is a bit a bit simpler than than that um it's you know my playing days were winding down you know um i, I already had started a family wife had two kids mortgage and getting into the soccer business was not even a consideration i went into the corporate world um, did a bunch of different things for a period of time. And, uh, only when my kids uh, started playing soccer, did I really start getting back into, into the game? Uh, I started coaching my own kids, uh, just having a lot of fun. And then it turned into coaching their teammates and their teams. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of success and, and things were going very well. And, and one thing really led to another, somebody on the field, you know, you know, you have to keep in mind that, you know, 25 years ago, there wasn't a whole lot of coaches that were qualified in, in the United States that had had, you know, experience in the game um, that, that uh, I had had. And uh, basically, you know, they would come to me and say, well, you know, can you help me? And, and, you know, I just started by, you know, volunteering, giving my time, helping other kids out, helping other teams out and so on and so forth. And then it started taking time away from my family. And, you know, the missus wasn't all happy about me not being around and giving my time away for free. So I decided, OK, well, if I'm going to do this, you know, beyond my own kids, let's see if we can turn it into a business and, uh, you know, 
it really just grew from there. You know, at that point in time, we, we really got, uh, you know, as Gaz said, we got the bug for being around the game again. You know, it's, it's something that's always a part of you, can never be removed. And it just needed to come back to the surface. And I guess it just needed the right, the right motivation to do so. And over time, you know, we just started building. It started with one team and then one team became five and then it became more and then it became camps and, and then it became relationships with uh, people like Gaz and, and, uh, you know, creating opportunities for kids through those relationships and, and, you know, getting involved in the Brookwood uh, Sports Academy scenario, uh, which, you know, brought us to you, Phil. Um, yeah, so that's really, really my story. And, and after a number of years, um, you know, I, I, I made a conscientious decision to move away from some of the other things I was doing and, and to, to give my full efforts uh, into, into the soccer thing. One thing, you know, tied into that also was uh, sadly, and I, and I almost hate to use this, but it was the whole 9-11 experience. Um, I was in the insurance business at that time and I had a meeting that morning at the building that was located right next to world trade center. And it was my son's first day, Maddie's first day of pre-K. And I decided to cancel the meeting to go with my wife, to take him to school. And while I'm standing there in line to bring him into his classroom, I hear the story that that the World Trade Center was going down, airplane crashed into it. My meeting was at 9 a.m. that morning at the building right next door to that. And after that, I decided that life is too short. I'm going to really do something that I enjoy and I can give back a lot of the things that were given to me. And uh, I guess that was my ultimate big motivation to, to move on and do more of this. Um, so that's my story. And it's a fascinating story, both of you guys. I'm glad you guys became coaches. And I'm retired, and no matter what you hear out there, I am retired, even though I do go out a little bit. Um, this last week, I was with some 10-year-olds, and it was a lot of fun, a lot more fun than coaching Andy Murray. Anyway, for Eric Laurendini <laughs> and Gary Lewis, I'm The Flash. Go Burnley! And thanks for listening to Pro Soccer Weekly. You've been listening to Pro Soccer Weekly. Join us in our next installment for all of your pro soccer news on Pro Soccer Weekly. Pro Soccer Weekly.